Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Church, good job today. You're like, what do we do? You you worship well. You know, sometimes we show up to church and, whew, it's like, have you ever been pulled behind a boat? You had either like a ski connected to you or maybe a wakeboard or something. And it's everything that boat could do to get you out of the water. And it didn't look beautiful. Have you ever seen those who just, just hop up and it's like no effort, it's effortless? And then what they can do behind a boat, you're like, man, that looks, that looks entertaining. Yeah, I think that's how our worship service was today. I, felt, I really do. I felt like I told my wife, I'm like, it, it's, I, I heard a choir. Did anyone else hear a choir? Man, for a while I was hearing a choir, especially on those last two songs. There's, I, I think what we were doing today is we weren't, we we're choosing, you might didn't realize you did it. We weren't choosing to be entertained. We were choosing to be engaged in worshiping who matters most. His name is, his name is Jesus, right? And I hope, I hope that last song, it just gets you all weak. Like, I hope it just catches you in your car. I don't care if you're going to the bathroom. It catches you while you're going to the bathroom. and just like, man, there's nothing like you, Jesus. Nothing like you, Jesus. You don't even need to know all the lyrics. Just, just nothing like you, Jesus. It catches you right before you want to have a bad attitude. It's like, nothing like you, Jesus. And things just, things just change. Amen? Let me read this for you as we start. Then we'll read a verse together as a church. Um, this Dallas Willard, this is, this is something he, he writes. He says, the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is to keep God before our mind. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in practicing this presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, we may be well challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But there are habits uh, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former one as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Can we read Deuteronomy chapter six together? What, what, what's Dallas Willard saying? Dallas Willard is saying is it's important to keep and stay and fix your attention on God. He gets that out of Deuteronomy chapter, chapter six. Can we just, can you just read this with me if you can see it? I, it's my fault. It's that small font. But hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What's being said there is that who God is matters in every area of our life. What we do with our hands is we, we work, vocation, we, we are entertained, we recreate, we do all these things with our, our hands, we build, we create, but with our eyes, we, we see things. And what the, the writer is saying here is that um, it engages both hands, heart, life, vision, eyes, everything when it comes to redirecting your focus on God. And we do this every single day. So this is like a daily activity. This is how you gain traction in a world that tries to take your traction. How do I know a world takes our traction? Well, I've learned this, that the more I focus on negative thought process and patterns, the more the world looks negative to me. Like the, the more negative negativity I focus on, the more negative my own story seems to be. Not only that, my, everything around me seems, seems negative. And the problem is you just, you just slip. You just stay in that same pace and place and you go nowhere. And just like a dream where you can't run and how right you've been there, uh-huh. Everyone else is running, you can't run. What is it? It's, it's, it's claustrophobic, it's, it's restrictive. This is what happens to a person whose focus is on the negative all the time. So how do you gain traction? You live out Deuteronomy chapter six. You remind yourself who God is and what he's, as a person, as his love, his nature's character, what he's all about. And in that, guess what happens? You begin to discover who you are and what you're called to be and to do. It first starts with, with God. I don't know about you, but like when I drive in, in my vehicle, my car, and like God, we don't get lost, right? We get misplaced. And when I get misplaced at times, often, um, I have a tendency to turn down if there's any, if there's any music on, I don't know. I just, I reach, I gotta, I gotta turn it down. And the reason why I do that is because even though the artist singing isn't doing anything wrong, they're distracting me. And I don't care if it's Christian or country. It's just, it, all of it can be distracting, right? So I turn it down and then what I do, it helps me with focus. I mean, there's been times that, you know, uh, we're in a particular situation where didn't know where I was going, traffic was crazy, kids were really loud. So I not only had to turn down the, the music, I had to turn down the kids, like the volume, like, please be quiet. Dad's trying to focus. Do you want to live? Do you want to get out of this? And so what I found though, is that we live in a really, how many agree with this noisy world? And if we don't address the noise and we can control it to some degree in our life, then guess what happens? We continue to be distracted and that affects everybody in the car. The family knows it. If dad is frustrated and misplaced, the whole family gets frustrated and is misplaced. And so uh, I think that the discipline here is learning to not give in to every negative news point and every d demonic distraction of culture and learn to set your focus where it's supposed to be. What happens is peace comes. And like we did today, collectively, 
we begin to worship. And what, what we're doing, we're living out. So we're activating Deuteronomy chapter six. And those songs we were singing, we were engaging, not being entertained in who God is. And what's it do? It has this amazing ability to shape and redirect our whole, our whole life. I think there's things, uh, even in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine, it says, only be on guard and diligent to watch yourself so that you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip from your mind. So you don't lose traction from your mind as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. So we have a responsibility not only to maintain our life in pursuit of God, but we also have the responsibility to uh, share that same conviction and story with generations that, that follow. All that leads me to this. I'm not even talking about Deuteronomy chapter six. That was just to get us, to get us started. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, the Apostle Paul for a moment. And the, the, the idea of the talk was, it was encouraged and spawned from last Sunday's brilliant message on let's build the church as Pastor Ken led us in, uh, led us in that. And I'm going to talk about the church today. So I'm going to talk about Jesus, his church, and me. Like not me, me, yes. But like if I title it Jesus, the church, and you, like say that real quick. Jesus his church, and you. Yeah, you, you pawn off on someone else. So that's why it's me. So now say it out loud. Jesus, his church, and me. So who are we talking about today? We're talking about all of us. And I think to really get a clear understanding of, man, Jesus, his church, and me, you have to, you have to first start with remembering how awesome God is. Has God done any rescue missions here in your life? So these are four things I try and remember when I feel like traction is, is slipping. I try and remember uh, his, his rescue. That I am a testimony of his rescue. Deuteronomy chapter six, all, the book of Deuteronomy, anytime there's a pointing back to remembering the works of God, it typically points them back to a lot of moments, but particularly one moment when you, you see the story of the Israelites being rescued from the oppression of Egypt. And then something phenomenal happens. God leads them across a sea. The walls split. They form these water walls. The, the sea bed ground is dry. And this entire group of Israelites cross on, on dry land. Like if that happens, Sunday experience, I guarantee your Monday would look a lot different. Like, I think sometimes we just, we, we read scripture too fast. We don't put ourselves in there. It's like, oh yeah, of course, of course the water part. Really? Really? Of course. That's how confident you are about it. Like, and it did. And I, I, how many would be like, like me? I've always tried to put myself in that story. If I'm walking, like I'd be like, wouldn't you just want to just touch the sidewall? Right, and then you walk all the way over here, and you just you just you just want curiosity to cause you to to touch that wall. And then the next day, when you woke up, you wouldn't there'd be like it'd be a hush in the camp because people would just be sitting around like eating. What is it? And it'd be like, And then you get interrupted by a neighbor. And they'd ask you like, hey, how do you turn on your water, your house? You're like, great question. But 
before we get there, like, it doesn't even matter. Who cares about turning your water on at your house? Did you, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know if we approach our relationship with Jesus like that. But if you are a believer, it's not because you were so good. You received this gift. So it's a picture of grace. And you should be touching the walls. And there should be moments where you consider your own life and your rescue. And you realize, like, you don't have to say words. It's like sign language. You just, you just try. You just, you don't know. Trying to just put it together. So that's what I have to do. I have to learn his, his rescue. I remember his rescue. I have to remember his provision. God provides. You could be in a situation right now, I just want to tell you, God provides. If you got time warped back to then, they'd be like, listen, I get it. I get it. Just hear me on this one. God provides. Like, but, 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 no, I get it. I get it. Like, let's take you back a little further. Walk with us. Like, you see, yeah, God provides. That's what happens when I read scripture. I realize like, I bring my problem to it and I realize like, oh my goodness, look at that. My problem is met with the solution, the promises of God. And they might not be here fully and yet, but they're here, they're active. They come in a way that is perfect in their timing. So I remember his, his rescue. I remember his, his provision. I remember his grace. The fact that I'm alive, the fact that they crossed over was a proof picture of this gift of grace. And then lastly, what we're to remember is we're to remember his promise. And when you get to uh, the amount of times it was repeated to Joshua, Joshua be strong and very courageous. Meaning there's a promise that's been given, but for this promise, you have to be strong and courageous. That's what, that's the attitude you must possess. And even today, there's promises in our life. And I'm just here to tell you just out of scripture, you're supposed to be strong and courageous. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to be strong and courageous and look for and wait and consider who God is and what he's done. And that becomes your starting point. When I consider the life of Paul, I thought about this. Uh, Paul, he was uh, falsely imprisoned on multiple accounts. Uh, he was flogged repeatedly. He faced death continually. He received 39 lashes, not once, not twice, but five times from the Jews. And he even notes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was beaten uh, three times with rods. He was pelted with stones. Can we go back to being lashed 39 times on five occasions? Have you ever had a scar heal? And then you reopen that wound on that scar. Just, just for a moment, could you imagine what the lashings uh, would look like and what they would do to your back? And it happened not once, but it happened 39 lashings five times. And then he's pelted with stones. Has anyone ever, as a kid, been hit with a stone? I have, but... It's because my windshield wiper stopped working on a snowstorm. I looked out the window and I, a, a rock, thank God I was not Goliath. A rock hit me right between, right between the eyes. I'm here today. That's the grace of God. I don't know how I got over the blues. Okay. Also, shipwrecked three times. Yeah, if I was shipwrecked once, this is what I would not do for the rest of my life get on anything that is a vessel that floats on water. Three times. Uh, he lives my worst nightmare, like being at sea day and night. 
like just waiting to see what creature of the deep is going to nibble on, on you. He was in danger from his countrymen. He was in danger from the Gentiles. It seemed like the world hated him. At times it seemed like his own hated him. And this isn't, this isn't Jesus. Jesus, yeah, the same, same story, but this is, this is Paul. And Paul is enduring all this because of probably Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because the reality of Jesus is that clear to him. Is that meaningful to him. But then you find it's just not just the story of Jesus. Because we see that he goes without sleep. He's weary. He's often in pain. He talks about it. But yet, he can, is continually concerned about the state and the welfare of the church. Like, what? Like, he, he goes through all this because he's concerned and he loves Christ above everything. And he loves what's important to Christ, which is his church. And so it, he, he writes statements like, um, I became a servant of this gospel. So he, he, he d- uh, defined himself as a servant to this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. To me, Paul says, less than the least of all the saints. And some of you today feel less than the least of all the saints. Well, you're in good company because Paul says, no, 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 I, I was less than least of all the saints, but yet this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles, which is, since to the world, the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten everyone about God's secret plan, a secret plan that has been hidden for ages in God who has created all things. The purpose of this enlightenment is that through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This was according to the eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access to God because of Christ's faithfulness. For this reason, I ask you not to lose heart. Paul, you are amazing because of what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. What is Paul saying? He's like, all of this that I've gone through is worth it. So don't bother yourself with the pain I've gone through because Christ is that important and his church is that beautiful. I would go through it all over again. And the next chapter, he doesn't define himself as servant, but he goes, I'm the prisoner for Christ. It's a picture of, I've taken the handcuffs and I've cuffed myself, but because of the grace of Jesus, I've cuffed him too. And I'm connected to him because of what Christ has done for me. So I urge you then to live worthy of the calling from which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as we too were called with one hope of our calling, one Lord, come on, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all things and through and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Paul's real serious about Christ and the church. He goes on to say, you with, you, you're with me? It was he who gave some to the apostles and prophets, some evangelists in chapter four, verse 11, and some pastors and teachers, but that's not all. It's to equip all of us for the work of the ministry, the saints. That is to build up the body, a good mature person, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So we are no longer 
to be children tossed back and forth by the waves and carried about by the every wind of the teaching of the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we are all to, look at this, grow up in Christ who is the head. For him, the whole body grows, it's fit and held together through every supporting ligament as each one does part, the body grows in love. If Paul was alive today, regardless of all the cultural camps that are out there, the camp that Paul would be a part of is the grow up in Christ camp. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that is a growing up in Christ church, a part of a growing up in Christ people. And that's sometimes really hard to do when we can get so distracted by all the cultural noise around us. We have to remind ourselves what God has called us to do is to grow up in Christ in him and to be, come on, a mature, a mature, someone say mature, a mature, faith-filled church. A church at its best happens when the majority of faith grace participants get serious about the person, the work, and the mission of God. So much so that they begin to live it out daily in their life, in their family, in business, the community, and in their neighborhoods. It's through the faithfulness of Christ that we have this confidence and boldness to have a relationship with him. We've been created with various skills, gifts, and ministries, and particular callings to do what? To bring honor and glory to God in a world that's in desperate need of a clear picture of who he is. I'll tell you this, the apostle Paul did not endure torture. He didn't go through what he went through just so that we could define church as a 90 minute service on a Sunday. Now it is a 90 to four hour service on a Sunday. Can I get an amen? But it's more than that. And the reason why I think this is accurate is because culture proves this. The most attended services any given year is on Christmas, Pastor Ken and I talked about, and Easter. The churches all across the globe pack out on Christmas and Easter. What does that tell me? That tells me that a lot of people consider church as a service that you attend. And they're even bad at that. But they're like, we at least got to attend once or twice a year. And it's probably good to do it on his birthday and when he rose from the dead. And we go and we check in for two services throughout the year. And then we're back to living with this false idea of what the church is. It's not a bless me club. It's not about, you know, what's the latest and greatest in food and fashion and design. No, it's, it's none of that. Does it include it? You bet, because you're all here. But it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's not about, you know, what special choir we're going to have and who's going to be the singer. And, you know, hope this word is encouraging. It doesn't go longer than, you know, what it's supposed to go. And, like, I hope the preacher doesn't lie again and says he's almost going to close and close 20 times. And then we're here for two hours. And they trick us again, and we miss our show. And we miss lunch. That's the... That's going to be the, uh, the noise in your brain if you think that church is just a, just a service. And this is Jesus, the church, and me. So I'm not talking, you know, I'm talking to me here. So if I, if I get a little gritty on some of this, just understand, Jesus, the church, and me. But I think we have a problem. I, I've shared this a couple years ago, and it's, the numbers have obviously changed a little bit, but 
uh, when they when they polled a group of and it was a large sum of people who had influence who have been influenced in some form some some form or sort within the uh, the the Western Church, they they polled numbers and they realized there's four groups that have essentially make up church culture right now. The first would be prodigals. And the percentage they gave prodigals on this uh, large number of people that were, were polled was 22%. Those who experience encounter with within the church, they experience some type of church life. Uh, those who have made a decision to walk away from their once held beliefs in God and his church, about 22%. In, in a, perhaps it, it's grown a little bit one way or the other. I'm not sure. The next group is nomads. This is 30% of, of those who are polled would be considered the nomads. These were people who are once engaged in their Christian church community. Uh, they still believe in God, but they have nothing to do any longer with any form that they would consider church. So they believe, but ah, church isn't for me. Church is kind of, it's, it's for other people. And then you have the habitual churchgoer, and this is uh, 38%. They're doing their diligence in going to church. Same parking spot. They're here on time. They're the faithful, uh, habitual churchgoer. I, sh- I should actually say the habitual churchgoer. They're not necessarily faithful. And the problem is their attendance doesn't line up with Christianity. Meaning, just because they're attending church doesn't mean they're acting like and living out a Christian life. So it's almost out of just duty of like, I just got, I got to be this. Uh, it can have a form of godliness, but there's, there's no power in it. And then you have what uh, Sayers and others calls the, resi- the re- resilient disciples. And this, uh, as it was polled a couple years ago, was about 10%. These are people who are living out their faith actively. Uh, they are others-centric. They are flawed, but they love Jesus, and they care for their community, and they care for people around them, and they authentically believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And regardless of what culture does, they're, they're leaning in. It's about, about 10%. And I think when we look at our culture today, just in the few minutes I have left, um, I think we're seeing is uh, a culture that is defining itself against Christianity, so they're, they're defining for themselves who they want to be, what truth is to them, what they want to do. They're rejecting what God would say is the good, right, true, beautiful, and real of creation and of humanity. And they're deciding for themselves what they want to be. And so every action, every move that they make is to define themselves against Christianity. And to no surprise, right? Because I believe it's, it's Jesus in the, the Gospel of John, John 15, that says... They hated me, they're going to hate you. Because I was despised, you're probably going to be despised as well. It was no shocker either to the Apostle Paul. He gives us Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, right? There's certain errors, there's this demonic activity, there's this demonic uh, ag- uh, just aggressiveness that sets itself, that it signs itself against people, simply because they what? Because they believe in Jesus. Now, I, like you, I don't like people not liking me. Either do you, so don't look like, like that's a surprise. I don't like people hate me. Like, especially for no reason. At least let me give you a reason. But because I identify with Jesus, 
this is this is the newsflash, and we still get so surprised about this. When you say yes to Jesus, it, you lend yourself to placing a target on your life from everything that's opposed to Jesus and the kingdom of God. But you don't have to panic today because we've been given the keys of the kingdom. We've been given Jesus himself. And so there are things that are going to be hostile against us simply because we identify with the person, the life, the work, and the mission of of King Jesus. So that's going to happen. So that's why every day, I think you got to be prayer people. Every day, Paul says, so what do you do? You you take up your armor. You, You remember who God is and who you are in relationship to God. You remember that uh, the psalmist says, he surrounds me with shouts of deliverance. Now, come on, parents, we know how to protect our kids and we can have some shouts at anything that's, anything that's coming against them. But we got nothing compared to what God can do when he shouts. It levels things. So you got to remind yourself that even though uh, there's things coming against you, uh, you have the power that's in, come on, in Christ Jesus. So, Yes, I think a culture defines itself against Christianity because uh, we simply say yes to Jesus. I think it's spiritual, but I also think we don't always live Christ-like. And sometimes we have behavioral issues within the church. How do I know that? Because I have behavioral issues. So do you. Meaning, I think sometimes a culture defines itself against Christianity because there's some things that are broken in our life. Maybe, just maybe, and this isn't a talk on how Pastor Shane doesn't like the church. I love the church. I just don't think we think well enough of the church because we're so limited in our thinking. And the problem with that is then we don't live like the church in culture and we give a misrepresentation of who God is to our world. And then it makes it easy for them to define themselves against Christianity and and who he is. So my aim in the next few moments is to help give us just in piggyback off of what happened last Sunday is to give us some good biblical pictures of what the church is about to make it way more robust than just a service. Are you with me? Can you admit, please, that you have some behavioral issues? And that just maybe your behavioral issues have given a mistaste of who God is maybe to someone, at least, at least once, maybe not now, but at least at one point in your life. Yeah? Okay, perfect. This is what the church is. The church, in the words of our lead pastor, Chris, is global. The church is global. The church is local. Not local, local. It's got some local. It, it is. It, it's got some flawedness to it. That's not what I meant, though. The church is global, and it's local. It's also flawed, but it's also holy. Why is it flawed? Because we make it up. And we're works in progress, yeah? And holiness isn't the absence of sin. It's not the absence of any imperfection. It's not, it, holiness is not perfect perfection. Holiness is a picture of me taking a nail and taking a hammer and hammering that nail into a wall. The work of that hammer is a holy thing. 
a non-holy thing would be taking that same nail and taking my favorite coffee mug and trying to use my coffee mug as a hammer to hammer a nail into a stud or to a drywall. That would be an unholy picture for that special coffee mug. So what is holiness for you and I as the church? Is to live and to function the way God intended us to live and function together with one another, but also with our world. Anything outside of living that way is an unholy move in our life as a church. But it's also even individually. When I don't follow and live up to the measure and the, uh, the, the instruction that God sets for me personally, I'm living outside of a holy place. And God says, listen, be holy as I'm holy, meaning God is a God. And you're going to hear this in a couple of weeks. Pastor Chris has taken us on a series about God. Are you ready for the title? God. And it's going to be for four weeks. And we're going to talk about the work. We're going to talk about the person and we're going to talk about the mission of God and get a better, clear understanding what the Bible teaches us about the God we serve, this triune God. He's not abstract. He's personable. He's real. He's connectable. He's there. He relates. He's on mission. The church was his idea from the very beginning. So it makes sense that we be a holy church that work within our purpose and our role. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to show you what the church is. Number one, it's the people of God. Romans 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that you were not a people, but you're now a people. You were not shown mercy, but you now receive mercy. We see in uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul says chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what's the common denominator between the people? The common denominator is faith in Christ Jesus. So we once were not a people, but because of the achievements of Jesus, we now are a people together that make up the body of Christ. Meaning that it's through Jesus that the church, us as a people, have been united and established. And so when you knock the church, you knock the work project of God as forming people together. And how many know that when you get a lot of people together, there should be some diversity and we should celebrate that. And there should be different types. There should be different skill sets and there's different ethnicities and there's different nationalities. And this is what we get to do in harmony. Even though there might be language bearers, we get to harmonize our life around the person of Jesus. And so if, and we got to be concerned about a culture that's defining itself against Christianity. Yes, it's spiritual. And, and I think we're, we're going to continue just to, to be spirit led people that when there's things we got to pray through, we're going to pray through. But today I just want to talk, we got we to gotta be people who are, are honest and biblical in our behavior. So when we gather, we need to celebrate one another. We got to be okay talking and discussing, not hating and bickering and fighting. Can you, student, can you put the target up on the screen? So this is from Pastor Chris and I's, uh, one of our professors, Dr. Walker. He talked us through this. He gave us 25 cultural points as well as some, some subjects of scripture and asked us if we could put them in these categories. So we thought, okay, there's, there's the die for category. There's the divide over the debate, discuss, and there's a lot of who cares, 
right? And when you look at scripture, you're going to realize that there is, there's some areas, Paul's an example, is what he went through, even how his life was a life of martyrdom. It came from a place where there's certain things about him that he was not going to surrender and give up because his conviction that was rooted in Christ Jesus caused him to stand and, and to die for something. But there's also the divide over there. Are, there are certain things that, man, just, they get, they get so, uh, bombastic and get against all things that Christians stand for that for the sake of just peace itself there has to be kind of a division over there's certain things that I can't just allow this certain noise and things to just continue to be an operation in my life for the sake of my life and for my family and for the future there's things I just have to a dividing line uh, but there's a lot of things that you can debate, discuss, and then who cares? The problem, this is what we got to be careful as the church, the people of God, is we got to make sure that who cares doesn't get in the die for category. And I think what we've seen as a culture, and it's very demonic how subtle this happens, uh, we go from just debating to discussing, and we want to divide over it. And if you really look at it, you're like, stop it. Do you really need to divide church and family and household over something like that? Take them on it. Don't you think it could just be a debate and discuss if like you were biblically sound and you were leading with Jesus kind of in the conversation? I'm not saying there's, there's, there's areas that there's been martyrs of the past, martyrs, martyrs present. I think there's going to be martyrs of the future. Areas that, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to require that. The, the, the divide over. But my challenge, I think, in being the people of God is we have to be okay at better discussion, even good, healthy debates, fine. We got to make sure that uh, what shouldn't be in the die for category, the divide for category, we don't allow it in to uh, give a misrepresentation of who God is. Come on. And his grace and his compassion. It doesn't mean there can't be disagreement and heavy disagreement. That's fine. Come on. Anyone married? Yeah, there's some disagreement there. Hopefully you are conflict resolving in a biblical way, but there's, there's a right way to do that. And I say this because I think we can be better as a church. Like we can, we can go to another level of what it means to hear other people's story, even though we might not fully agree and still show the love and the courtesy and the kindness of Jesus. Right? Romans chapter, I love it. Pastor Ken, just, thank you. It is. That's the picture from the front row. He said, Pastor Ken said, that's a picture of maturity. That's what it means, Paul says, to be grown up in Christ people. Yeah. Next one. Or we're not getting through this. The family of God. Hey, we're a family. Yeah. We're a family. How many you know families is flavorful? Some, some family members you show up early for that event. Others, I don't know, traffic was bad. Really? On a Sunday afternoon? <laughs> but come on, we're family. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. Matthew twelve fifty, And I'll be the father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. I don't know. I just, I, I'm blessed that I've come from a good family and I'm surrounded by, I think, really, really, really wonderful people that I consider to be extended family. Uh, but there's a whole lot of people that are defining themselves against Christianity and they need family. And one way to win them to the, the, the picture and the, the reality of who God is, is to show them what a loving opening family looks like. And it's not 
three and no more. We're, we're, we're open here. Come on. The kingdom of heaven is, it's all about open adoption. Meaning this, that everyone is welcome to come into the household of faith and not just be members and attenders, but to be family members, which makes it a lot more intimate. Uh, you can fight well with your family members, but if someone fights against you, it's funny how something just snaps and you're all on the same page working arm in arm together. That's the picture of the church. It's more than a church service. We're the house of God, a household of faith. Number three, uh, if I delay, uh, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. First Timothy chapter three fifteen. 15. Um, what is the, ho- the household attitude? It's, a, it's an attitude of, of faith. Uh, this is the standard we must live and keep up to. Um, we're not only the house of God and a household of faith, but number four, we're a temple of the living God. Meaning he chooses to dwell with you and I. Scripture says where there are two or three gathered in his name, there he is right in the midst. Is that not, is that, that should be, that should be a little shocking to you. If you really consider, whoa, today, well, right now, like the thing that we have in common is Jesus. And because we all center around and focus around and position our life around Jesus, uh, the promise is that his presence is right with us. We see 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. This is as a, right, as a living temple. Uh, which that then leads us into Colossians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the metaphor that our life as a church community is more than a service, but we're like a body joined together. Now, how many know how important body parts are? They're really, really important. The funny thing about some of them, though, you don't realize how important they are until they're hurt. Like, let's take the the forgotten, like, little toe. Like, you don't know the little toe is even a thing until you... You know, you, you hit a corner, you, you, you turn too sharp and you bend that sucker or you, you stub it. You realize for a whole week, two weeks, that toe will remind you how important it is just by you feeling that it's there. Uh, my son and I, we had a conversation a while ago. I don't know why we had it, but it was like, Hey, if you had to lose, if you had to lose a finger, what finger would you lose? And he's pointing to, I think he's pointing to his pinky finger and I agreed until I did some research and I realized like man if you lop off if you lose that pinky finger and I told him I go try and do a pull up with your pinkies out and you'll see how much strength you lose from that little insignificant finger it it balances and it is it is a strong member of the body now how many this week are going to do a pull up with their pinkies out just to test my theory Okay, yeah, I see those hands. All right, do it. Let me know. Uh, You'll see how important it is. And that's why I love the fact that Jesus says his church is like a body. It's not about a few parts that make it function and it's perfect. The church is not about just a few members doing their role and their part and everything else is fine. No, everyone working together matters when it comes to this metaphor of the church being a body functioning at its best.
Uh, it shows when you look at your own body, you, you see just an integration of, uh, and a meshing of just diversity. Like my, my nose doesn't do what my ears do. And I don't have to belay the point. But you get the, the point. The, the body in itself is so diverse and the church is to be the same way. And they harmonize together. You don't have to tell your lungs to breathe. You don't wake up thinking, man, whew, got up late. Got to get those lungs started. No, you don't tell your heart to work. No, it, it does that. And you know when it's not working properly because every other part of your body is affected by it. I just think to be the church's best requires that we all are working together, right? To figure out, okay, what's our place? What's our role? What's the significance of what God's called me to, to be a part of this beautiful expression of who he is in my local city? We also see that of the, the church, according to Ephesians chapter 5, even Revelation chapter 19, it's a picture of the bride of Christ, like, and weddings are fascinating. Um, I think about the groom. The groom, the groom's not the main deal at a wedding, which is, you know, whatever. Like, he usually walks out with the officiant. He stands up here. And everyone's like, I just hope he doesn't fall down. Like, you know, is he going to cry? Is he just want to cry or no? Right? But it's funny what happens when the bride comes through the back of the auditorium Everyone turns and looks at her. Not only that, they stand up. No one stood up for the groom. There wasn't even a special song for the groom. It's all for this bride. And when I look at scripture, I see a really humble God who chooses to take on groom role and allows his church to be bride. To where he says, yeah, this is what I'm working towards. I'm pursuing you. I'm going to court you. I'm going after you. Regards how you treat me and the rejection, I'm not going to stop. A lot of like how some of you got married. You just, just didn't quit. Good job. Uh, and what happens is he allows, think about it, the church to have a song for her and to wear special dress and all of these other things that go along with making the wedding what it is, it's a celebration. And this is the picture, come on, that God has for you and for me. And so for us to be living unholy, for us to not be acting as the bride is a mis misrepresentation of who God's called us to be to, to our world. And then he makes covenant relationship. He, he, he's the one who sacrifices he says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Pretty powerful. So we're a body, we're a bride. We're also set apart. The church is to be set apart meaning that we're to be on purpose and mission of heaven itself. We're to live lives that represents uh, who he is within our culture. We're to be people that showcase what it means to be in fellowship with the creator of the universe. First uh, John chapter two, uh, we see also Ephesians chapter five. We're also to be a light in present darkness uh, that God's called us to be more than just church attendees, but to be part of the bride, part of the body, 
or to be set apart or to be, uh, according to Acts chapter one, verse eight, as mentioned last week, we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're to be spirit empowered people, not so that we can have feel good, uh, encouraged Sunday mornings. And those are great. And we have a lot of them, but so that we can defeat sin that comes against us. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that gives us the ability to be convicted over certain matters and issues of life. Um, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be an effective witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's no stopping a church that is Spirit-empowered, but it has to have both. It has to be a Spirit-empowered church that's on mission. And the mission is to be a reflection of who Christ is within our world. We're to be a royal priesthood, which is New Testament priests. What do priests do? They sacrifice. They are others centric. They are those who essentially lay down their lives for others. They, they represent what worship looks like. They lead people in worship. Uh, they lead people uh, in what uh, the, the, the offering looks like is giving it unto unto the Lord. And it's amazing that God's called us to be, to be that. He's called us to be priest, New Testament priests, people of prayer, people of intercession, people that represent other people, even though they don't know they're, you're, you represented them to heaven itself, neighbors and coworkers and family members and enemies and people who hate you and people who say all awful things against you. As New Testament priests, we take all of that and we bring it to the Lord. And guess what he considers it? He considers it to be a beautiful aroma, a beautiful offering. You're taking what you could do, your revenge, and you're placing it at the altar. You're taking forgiveness, and you're placing it at the altar. You're taking love, and you're placing it, you're giving it at the altar. You're, 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 you're representing uh, who Christ is as New Testament, New Testament uh, priest. Uh, and then lastly, for the slides, though, we're commissioned by Christ. What does that mean? We're good news people. Uh, when you read Matthew chapter 28, you, you realize there's this, this, it's called the Great Commission. We were commissioned to preach and we were commissioned to share the good news with people of all types and all backgrounds. Um, whether people love us or hate us, uh, the church is more than a service. Paul didn't experience three shipwrecks so that we could just attend a service every once again and that be our definition of church. She's like, I'm doing this because of how true Christ is and how powerful his church is when it all works together. And I'll continue, as long as I live, Paul would say this, I'm going to continue to check in on the health of the church and encourage both men and women, sons and daughters of the king, to grow up in their maturity in Christ Jesus, to, to love well, to love more, to love deeper, to forgive the haters, to forgive those who trespass against one another, to to extend generosity, to be hospitable, to take your talents and use it for a kingdom purpose. We're also the salt and light of the world. We're also people marked by baptism. We're also a gospel-centered community to where we're generous and growing as a church in all things. As they started with, we're a remembering community. That's what the church is. We're remembering. We're a communion people. Meaning, when we take the bread and Jesus says, as he broke the bread, he says, this represents my body. Eat this. When you eat this bread, you, you think about what I did for you so that you could be a people in the community and family and household of God. Now that, when you take the cup, you're going to remember that I've done something brand, brand new. 
It's new covenant. You have new life, not because of my personality and my achievement, says I, but because of Jesus Christ, because of the work that he's done in us. We're word people. Colossians chapter three, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And we're gifted people. And I'm done with this. I think we become a beautiful witness when we live out this multifaceted function of who Jesus is and what his church is about. We become a right, clear, true, clean, beautiful representation of who God is within our culture. And yes, we'll have things that are demonically inspired against us, but in the process, I guarantee that uh, the kingdom of heaven will win many more people just by some behavioral shifts within our own life as a faith community. You know, last week, uh, I was just thinking about um, how people get connected and get involved, and man, it's a, it's a tricky thing, right? Um, because to be honest, I think there's a lot of programs that uh, we, and I'm gonna talk like, like big church, like just church across the board. We've created a lot of programs that are just bad programs, right? There's been some really good programs, but man, there's some programs you're like, yeah, not doing that again. Just a bad program. Or sometimes systems are slow. Sometimes onboarding is, it's too restrictive. And what happens if we're not careful, uh, we just wait then for the right program and for the right system and for right onboarding to get involved in, in something. And my challenge for you is, uh, let's, let this be a year where as we're growing up in Christ Jesus, you for yourself, me included, we're figuring out, man, what's God called us to, to as we uh, are givers within this local community? You know, I was talking to, to one friend and, um, the other day, and he was saying that it was uh, actually Pastor Ken who spoke in his life years ago and said, uh, I just feel like that uh, God's given me the picture that you're going to be involved in business and uh, you're going to make you're going to make a significant amount of money, and God's going to show you how to use that for kingdom building. And he, he told me about that. He brought that up to me the other day. He says, he goes, you realize that at that moment when those words were spoken to me, like as a dad speaks to his son, it had, it had that way of like helping with the trajectory of my life. And today I'm a really successful guy and I love Jesus, a great family. And I'm a part of kingdom building. Another gentleman said uh, that their business changed. They edited their business a little bit because they got a picture of what it means to build for the kingdom by having conversation with other people that are doing that already. Another gentleman who's in college, uh, he was listening to the worship team play. He was, he was visiting and uh, he started coming here more and more. And while he's sitting in, in the audience, he's thinking, you know what? I play guitar. I think one day I'd like to be a part of being on the band, and he's one of our our band leaders right now. Yeah, another person um, uh, got invited. He didn't even know it. As Michael just shared, someone filled out a connect card for him. It was a setup. <laughs> so some things need to be a setup. Others are like, okay, what are you good at? And help me. I'm I'm at twelve thirty one. We're doing good. This is now the practical part of it right? Because a lot of people are like, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. I'm like, hey, I'm 44, which all year long, I thought I was 43. <laughs> so that helps anyone, encourage anyone. I, found, I lost a year this year because I found out a month ago I was 44. 
and I'm turning 45 real quick, so can't get that time back. But even at 44, I sometimes think about, what am I supposed to do? Like, what more am I supposed to be involved in? Where, where's my lane? Where's my area? So I think it's normal that happens, but I think just something real practical, prayer is a real practical thing. And so you start there, and you, you, even this week, even today, just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what is it that, man, he designed and created for me to do? Um, I don't want to be so far out there. I don't want to be 40 years in the future that I'm not, like, helpful right now. Do that for me. Give me that 40-year plan, but also, like, like, right now, where can I be a part of being a part of actively, active faith building within this church community? Uh, so start there. And then what you do is you, you can go to your, your friend group and you're like, hey, uh, just question. Like, like, what do you like about me? Like, what, what do I bring to this friendship relationship? And then just, just let them encourage you. Like, oh, are you kidding me? Like this, that, and the other. If they only think about one thing, just focus on that one thing and just don't be discouraged. Uh, it, and then ask them like, okay, wh- what do you think I should be like? Help me out. Like, wh- let's talk this through. What do you think I should be doing like right now? And I, I want to make it like, and I know this, this is the heart of our pastors. Like make this as practical as possible. Because yes, there is, there's five-fold ministry. Paul read, I, I read it to you this day, but that's not the full of it. That's just for the equipping of the edifying of the saints. So then the saints, you and I, all of us together are doing what God's called us to do, right? So I think for some, you just need to start like a small group. Like, what is that? Like, I, don't, I mean, I, I can talk to a few of you after service to give you ideas, but it could be, well, what are you good at? What do you love? What I love, everyone loves. No, they don't. And what I'm good at, like, that's the problem. I think someone's like, like the other day, like I told my daughter, I'm like, Hey, Ian Joe, you should consider being an accountant. Just got heard off a podcast. I'm like, they make decent money, right? And it's pretty, it's pretty consistent. And she's like, yeah, I thought about it. I go, really? She's like, it's just math. And then her mom and I are in there. I'm like, it's just math. That's never come out of my mouth before. It's just math. But to her, she's probably thinking, oh, everyone's good at math. Well, no, they're not. So maybe that's a skill. That's a gift that's been placed in her. So your strength is sometimes a clue to what maybe your gift is. And so focus on that for a minute. Have, have a moment with the Holy Spirit on that, talking about that. And then find other people that are like-minded to a degree. And that's how you could form like a small group, right? And what's a small group? Well, it could be based on friendship. You could start there. Uh, it could be based on finding a ministry within the church, uh, that you can just commit some time to and asking them, hey, in kids ministry, like what, I know Michael Borner is going to talk about VBS in a moment. Like what, what needs to be done with that? Where, where's the help? Where's the areas that you would like people to get involved and start there? Does that make sense? Like I wish I could be more practical and I'm trying to be, but time is running out. But what I don't want, and I, I felt this, like I thought about Pastor Ken's message all week long. And I ran to other people that same thing. And like, okay, what? And quickly what the programmers did, they tried to really quick like design programs. Like how do we get people in that? I'm like, man, I think we just got to just be better. Like uh, all of us asking others, hey, what are you into? Like, where's your involvement? How are you like as part of the church expressing that in different areas? And don't you think that this should be like, we should have some of the most unique 
like open, small groups. We should be some of the friendliest people. We should be inundated. We should be creative. We should be within our neighborhoods and throughout culture making a big influence because we know that Paul and Jesus, right? They didn't go through the persecution uh, just so that we could just attend a church service together, but because we're a living, breathing, come on, community of faith, and God's using all of our stories. And can I tell you this? I'm going to borrow from from Tyson, uh, John Tyson, not Mike Tyson. He says, there's two types of people uh, that walk into a room. The first person is that walks into a room is a, here I am person. What's up? Here I am right? You might not say out loud, but I think sometimes we walk in the room like, here I am. Okay. Who needs to see me? But then there's a second type of person. And that second type of person is the, there you are. There you are. There you are. Oh, there you are. He says this conviction, and this should be ours, is that we should be, there you are people in a here I am world. Because we're, we're surrounded by the noise of here I am. But man, we can make a difference if we just know, okay, where's the need? See people. Listen to people. And instead of waiting for the pastor or someone else to do it, that you do it. Father, thank you that you've called us to be here I am people. Not here I am, excuse me. There you are people. God forbid, my goodness. Screwing up the prayer. <laughs> we're supposed to be. There you are, people, in a here I am world. I'm asking, just even as you put your hand on your heart, I know this is so practical. God, today, just even from last week up till now, and even into as we celebrate moms next week, just pray that, Lord, you would stir something in each and every person that's here. Lord, that uh, when we ask, the, when we ask that, that question, God, what are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do specifically? That you bring about the, the right strategy and solution. We wouldn't make it so big that we don't do anything, but uh, it'd be bite-sized. It'd be t- obtainable. Uh, help us all in this next season as a church here at Capitol, as we call this our home, uh, to be uh, the beautiful expression of who you are in our world. And we can do that by serving one another and the community at large. God, thank you for your grace, Lord. Lord, thank you that uh, you are sufficient for us. We remember Deuteronomy chapter six. Lord, it begins with you. It starts with you, sustained by you. Father, thank you that you give us traction in our life and you give us a hope in his name is Jesus. And believe in this, that anyone that doesn't have the traction of Jesus, doesn't have the relationship with Jesus, Lord, that their hearts, their lives and their entire world would be open up to the reality of who you are. God, thank you that we are uh, communion people, that we are evangelists, that we're called to to be a, a living, active expression of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ to our world. So do it in here. Thank you for changing transforming lives and thank you for doing it in our culture in Jesus name amen thank you for joining us today if you'd like to give towards this ministry learn more about our church and events or are in need of prayer please visit capitalchurch.co